Good Sunday morning, Northgate. It's time to get into God's Word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. I pray that your Word would speak to us. Lord, Holy Spirit, pray that you would speak through this screen to encourage our hearts. I pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So this week, I had a lot of time to pray and think about what to say or what direction to go. And we're working through our reading schedule. And I just happened to come across that book that some of you have read with me in the schedule, First Thessalonians. The book has always been interesting to me, five chapters, and I was excited actually to read it. In the past, I would say when I read First Thessalonians, I would think of chapter 4, as most Christians do. If you don't, that's fine. Maybe you don't know much about the book. But in a lot of Christian circles, there's a lot of discussion about the rapture. And the second coming of Christ in chapter 4 quoted. But in my life, oftentimes, it leads to arguments and debates. And what I learned and am learning is there's a lot more to the book of 1 Thessalonians than just chapter 4. Anyways, it's a little book that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Some believe it was the first letter or epistle that was written in the New Testament. Thessalonica was a Greek city under Roman rule, and that happened 100 years before Christ came that Rome started to rule this city in Asia. So it was full of Greeks and Romans. It was a port city on a trade route and it was quite prosperous. And we encounter it in scripture in Acts chapter 17, Paul's second missionary journey. You might remember when he was in Philippi and he and Silas were with Lydia and formed the church there, but under great persecution, in jail, they were singing, but after that point, they left, and they went to the city of Thessalonica. It seems to be recorded in Acts 17 that Paul wasn't there a long time, maybe a month, maybe three Sabbaths, but he was under, again, some heavy persecution. A great multitude of Greeks and Jews were after him, so he leaves there. But before he does, it seems in the preaching of the gospel that a great multitude of Greeks, it says, and prominent women, leading women, came to know Jesus and founded a church. Now, as Paul left and was under great persecution because of that, it seems that the church or those who became believers were very persecuted as well. And so then this idea comes forth is, how do we live our faith in a very ungodly atmosphere? Super challenging. But how do we live in trouble, in tribulation, and in difficulty? Anyways, when you get to this letter, it seems like Paul is writing back to them, answering some questions, as we see there in chapter 4 about the second coming of Christ, but also, he's encouraging them for how they are living, what he's heard from Timothy, how they're sticking to their faith in the midst of a very difficult 
environment. He wants to encourage them. And at the end of the book, he gives them some more instructions or exhortations on this same theme of how to live when it's really an challenging environment. Now, for us in our teaching a couple months ago, uh, we went through the book of Hebrews, kind of like we're doing First Thessalonians here, and they were persecuted as well, and they were wanting to throw away their faith. And we said in that teaching, and you might remember of Hebrews, to fix our eyes on Christ, to look at Christ. Why do we want uh, the shadows when we can have the real thing? Don't turn away. And that was excellent. But I love First Thessalonians here, especially chapter 5, because in the challenging environment that they were in in Thessalonica, not only don't throw your faith away, look at Jesus, but add on top of that, here is actually how you're supposed to live the kingdom of God in a kingdom of evil. Because we know as we believe in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God lives within us, but the world around us doesn't have that, and it is the kingdom of darkness. So Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians, live as children of the light, be sober-minded in a dark environment. And we know our world is heading there, whatever you think or believe or at what pace or where we're at. We know things in the world aren't getting better. It's a dark place. There's trouble. There's challenge. Then the question comes and what we can learn from First Thessalonians again is how do we live as children of light? And I love it because he tells them they're doing a great job. He, he tells them more than once in the book, I see your labor of love, your works of faith, your patience in the hope of Christ's return. He says, you've become followers of us in chapter 1, verse 7, being example examples to all of those in Macedonia, to all that believe. That's you and I. So what they're doing in Thessalonica is good. They're being great examples and we want to be the same thing. We want to learn from what they're doing and Paul's encouragement and exhortation to how they are living that we would live like that. Now, I was thinking about this all week and I was on my prayer walk Wednesday, which we often do through town. And I was back on it and I was walking with my friend Bob talking about some of the kingdom principles that I'm going to talk to you about how it's so different than what the world thinks and how we should live. And Bob said, you know, it's almost like it's completely opposite. Like it's backwards to how we're trained to think in this world, how our flesh thinks. Made me think of the title. Like, yeah, we want to be counterculture or we want to be backwards to way the, the way the world is living. And I went home that day after the walk and I remembered that verse where it says somewhere I knew in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, it said the disciples were turning the world upside down. They were turning the world backwards. It was not what they were used to, but these disciples of Jesus, Paul and Silas and others, and even this church in Thessalonica, where things were counterclockwise backwards. And it's interesting to think of that because we're not used to that. Like we, for example, might write in our writing... We start on the left and go to the right. But what about Hebrew or Arabic? Having some friends, Jr. and Carter, when they write in Arabic, they write completely backwards to us. They write right to left. 
totally different. That's what I want you to think of this morning. Not what our flesh thinks, not what our mind thinks, not what our environment thinks, but how are we to live the kingdom of God today? And it is backwards. And in thinking of that verse, I actually looked it up as I was mentioning. And here was confirmation to teach this sermon, which was always super exciting to me. When did it happen? Acts chapter 17. When the believers, Paul, Silas, where, where? It says in Thessalonica. What were they called? They were called completely different and they were changing the world upside down. Wow. Exactly what I was thinking for this sermon confirmed in Acts 17 saying, this is how they were living. And it made me think this is how we want to live. So in chapter 5, I just want to go through some principles. It's various exhortations. He says in verse 12, the end of the book, and you probably know this section, by the way, from chapter 12 to 13, and I'm just going to go through quickly some basic kingdom principles, just six of them, that we would ask God to help us to live as radically different, backwards to the world around us. May the Holy Spirit help us. But let's read first. It says this, And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Verse 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort those who are faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Verse 15, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And here's this like machine gun statements. Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophecy. Verse 21, test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And then he finishes with some blessings to them. Now follow along, Thessalonica, admonishing them. You guys are doing great, encouraging them. Your testimony is known all over the world, how you're continuing in faith and, and living for Christ in a difficult environment where there's tribulation. He answers their question. He encourages them to live in holiness, and he gives them these final exhortations. So here we go. How can we be backwards? How can we live different? In the world. Looking at Jesus, here's what we have to ask him how to change our behavior in. So the first principle, we'll go through them quickly because there are six of them, but says this, basically in those verses, verse 12, 13, this is what I got out of it, but respect authority and find accountability in a Christian community. I think that's a kingdom principle. And this is actually counterculture. When we are in difficulty or tribulation, it's so easy to isolate today and to live without accountability. Over and over, to be honest, what we're going to, because of the environment we're living in, is church at home. 
is a faith community where I don't have to engage with people. But the reality is we need people, whether we like it or not, but when we're squeezed, we love to do things on our own. And more and more as time progresses, that word accountability is a word we do not like. We need to be open to be admonished and challenged together in each other's lives. Now, basically, because like this, sometimes in my own life, I can get my own thoughts and I'm not very objective and I need others to speak into my life who are more mature and who can help me to grow. But what happens is I want to be alone. I want to isolate. It's just easier and I don't have to deal with people. But all through scripture, a kingdom principle is the church, a community of people who believe in Jesus Christ and I am not doing this alone. We've been called not to only fellowship, but to hard fellowship, which is a place where we can know that we will be challenged. So, so, so important. And in my life, I don't like to be challenged and I don't at times like to be held uh, in accountability for things. But that's the way Jesus does it. He sent them out two by two. The kingdom of heaven is a community <laughs> that we're with him. We have our relationship with God, but we're together with people challenging and growing with one another. It's interesting as you look at it and he's telling them, urging them to be in this type of community and to be in places where they can be admonished and to respect uh, other people. He also says about this community Brethren, warn those, in verse 14, who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. I love the New Living Translation when it talks about these things. Warn those who are lazy, encourage the timid, take tender care of the weak, be patient with everyone. Is that how we are living in community, one for another? Man, we need to keep going. This is a kingdom principle, not to be alone, but to be together, to find authority, not to live away from authority in our lives, but to have good godly authority working to change us. That's kingdom principle number one. And think about it. It really is counterculture. Uh, anyways, we'll leave it there. Number two, we'll, we'll go on there, where it says, be at peace among yourselves. Do not render evil for evil. It goes on a little further as an instruction. But that's upside down thinking. Think about it. Wow. Peace. We want peace in the body of Christ. That's what Paul is calling for. When there's tribulation and difficulty, and we see, we see Satan doing it today, he looks to bring division. And I think this is an important word today. You know what? Over the 15 months, what has it been? We could argue about anything, government, math, vaccines, you name it. You throw it on the list. We can find something, uh, unfortunately, that the church is being split apart upon. 
whether in the past, whether it's denominations, secondary beliefs, I believe in this. I'm not talking about a beliefs, believing in Jesus Christ, his work, what he's done, that the word of God is true. I'm talking about secondary things. And what happens when we're squeezed is we polarize. But Paul is saying here to them, don't let the tribulation or how you handle it polarize you, but rather be at peace as much as possible among yourselves, among the church. And this is nothing new, this kingdom principle. This is all over God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, that we are to live in unity, unity of the spirit, thinking of others as better than ourselves, not looking to find what is right in our own eyes, but to find scripture what the truth, the A issues, not cultural secondary issues and splitting upon them, but rather we are to be at peace. And Romans would say, live at peace with all men as according to you. Let's see what's going around. Us, we need to be at peace in the spirit and recognize the work of the enemy and by living in the power of the Holy Spirit, say, no, I'm not going to live that way. You see, Jesus Christ has brought us peace, it says in Ephesians, from what he's done for us. But he's also, there in Ephesians, brought Jew and Gentile together. That middle wall of separation made them one. And that's the way we want to live in the church as children of light. Really really encouraging and challenging for me, but that's a kingdom principle. That's upside down thinking in our world. And I want to encourage you, how do we deal with the world of darkness? Because Jesus said, well, we know his kingdom is to bring peace among believers, but it's going to bring separation of those who are in the dark. So how do we live with the darkness if we're living in peace with the body of Christ? Well, I think we should do good to all. It says in verse 15, you know, always per pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. For the world, we live in the truth of Jesus Christ, but we don't see the world necessarily as our enemy, but we live in the kingdom of God, bringing peace within the body and doing good one to another and to the world around us. We don't have to agree with them, but we have to be kind to them. And I'm shocked sometimes the way Christians talk about the world and people of the world. We're not going to win them to Christ by calling them idiots. No, we need to do good and stand on truth. It's funny, this week, just a quick story. I know this sermon is taking a little length here, but uh, we were in quarantining, uh, quarantine coming back from our vacation. And I got so many phone calls from the government. And at first, very frustrated and, and angry. Yeah, I'm doing the right thing. Why do you keep calling me? But then I was challenged in preparing this. Am I being kind to them who are just doing what they're told by their superiors or whatever? So when I got those phone calls, I started to ask them about their day, how they were doing. What about the frustrations they are feeling? Now, some didn't respond so well to that. And some responded very well that someone would actually take the time to care for them or do good to them. And it was a challenge to me in the midst of what, oh, I didn't think it was right they were doing that, but how could I be kind? And Jesus says very clearly, a kingdom principle that's upside down from the way the world thinks, right? What does he say? Love your enemies. Give them 
cold water, those who have need, those who want to take something from you, give them more. This is upside down. This is not the way we think. But this is a kingdom principle. Now, as before we, we go on and, and move on, let's just review. We need to live in accountability, uh, in fellowship with the body of Christ, not living alone as lone rangers, but we need each other. Um, number two, uh, we need to be at peace. We need to love one another. We need to do good to those around us. So number three, as we move on, it says rejoice always. That's a kingdom principle. And everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ. And you know what? I don't want to spend too much time on this. We know we're supposed to be a thankful people. We've had a lot of sermons in the last year about being thankful, not complaining. But I'm going to be honest, no matter the amount of sermons I've heard, I have still caught myself complaining in the last 15 months so much, probably more than any time in my life. And I don't really want to, again, just explain it to you, but would you look at Jesus and know what he's done for you? Would I look at Jesus and know what he's done for me? And may it create a thanksgiving in my heart. May I look at my circumstance, no matter what's going on, and give thanks. You want to know what the will of God is? There it is. To be thankful. Lord, would you help us? And by the way, I'm not saying that when things are hard, we can't confess they're hard. We can't let out our, our emotions like David in the Psalms when things were hard. But you need to end understanding that we're called to be thankful. But there is a process. So we're not supposed to be goody-goody. Oh, everything's great. But at this, the same time, yeah, it's hard. But I'm getting to the place, again, like David in the Psalms, where Christ, you are everything. You're with me. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. And I'm going to be thankful. You see, we enter into his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. You want to get into God's presence? Be thankful for this is the will of God. Moving on, pray without ceasing. A big one, pray without ceasing. And again, not too much time, but be encouraged. Kingdom principle, it's not in our ability. It's not in our independence. It's in us turning to God continually. That is a kingdom thing. And our world wants to tell us it's about our ability. But prayer is in humility, coming, thanking, needing, confessing God and who he is at every moment, unceasing, the Greek word, unintermittently. And I and I just think when, you know, your windshield wiper, you have different timers and it can go pretty steady, but you can cut it back. So intermittently it goes. But the problem is when it rains and this world is dark, if it's only going every once in a while, you won't be able to see. And what happens is when we don't continually pray and think of the Lord, our windshield gets messed up. We can't see. We get confused. But if we continually, steadily turn to him and wipe the junk off by saying, God, help me. God, show me. God, forgive me. We clear the way so we can think clearly to live right. We need to continually be communicating with God, not once in a while, but as much as possible. Be encouraged. Prayer wipes the junk away by communicating with Jesus. That's a kingdom principle. Don't go at yourself. Turn to Christ. Be dependent upon him. 
That's not what our world tells us. It's all about you. You can do it. No, we can't. We need Christ. So I'm going to skip down to the bottom. Kingdom principle number five, abstain from every sort of evil. So I'll pray with that. Ceasing, that's what God wants. That's his kingdom within me in a dark world. It's not about me. Uh, rejoice always. Uh, be at peace with all men, no matter how hard it is. Live in submission to other people. And here, abstain from every form of evil. Run from sin. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, oh, isn't it obvious that we shouldn't sin? Is it? I was telling my kids, we were in America and we had a little church time together. Satan in our lives justifies and normalizes sin in the dark world. So what we think is not acceptable slowly becomes normal and acceptable. And as we compromise, it sneaks into our life. We need to stand firm and abstain. Other parts of the scripture, I'm just going to be really basic on this. Flee, run. Sin is not what we want. God hates sin because it hates his children. We should hate what hurts us, what hurts the body of Christ. We need to run. There is nothing in God's word that would say it is acceptable to live in sin. Even in 1 Thessalonians, the book, what is the will of God? That you would live a holy life. And he was specifically talking about sexuality. But there is many things that we could talk about. What is God's will? That you live in holiness. And even here, any form of evil, abstain, run, flee. But in other versions, it would say even the appearance of evil we're to run from. Now think about it. What is the world again doing? Normalize. Like, think about the kingdom of darkness and Satan. He's normalizing things that we know are wrong and they're becoming acceptable. Look about that at all things, whether it's sexuality, what we participate in, or with money, or what we say. The world is saying, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. This is what we are. No! It's not okay, and that's how we're supposed to live in difficult times, running from sin and evil. No compromise, my friends. That's a kingdom principle. Don't give in to the world of darkness and think sin is okay in any way. Finally, I saved this for the last, but going back a little bit, it says this, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. We need to be hearing from God and to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit, not what we see only, but understanding that there is a spiritual realm and a kingdom principle is it's not about my intellect only, but I have to have a renewed mind in God's truth, hearing from the Holy Spirit, knowing what to do. We, to live in a world of darkness and trouble, desperately need the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to be controlled and filled. We need to hear from. We need to be seeking the Holy Spirit.
We need God continually. And actually, I, I saved it for last because we need God to, his Holy Spirit in our lives, to rejoice. You can't do it in your own strength. We need God to be at peace, to forgive one another. We can't do it uh, in our own strength. We need God to continually pray without ceasing to seek him. We can't do it alone. We need God to defeat sin in our lives and run from it. We can't do it ourselves. And God's person with us today is the Holy Spirit. We can't quench, but we need to make that flame greater so it controls us, so we can live the way God wants us to, his kingdom here and now for our lives and to affect our world. I thought it interesting in Colossians 1 because sometimes when I hear about the Holy Spirit, I think about the miracles and all that wonderful stuff and I desire that and I think that's really important. We desire that. But in Colossians 1, it says Paul is praying for the church in Colossae that they would have the power. Oh, I think of miracles, right? That's, that's what I think of. The power of the Holy Spirit. But no, he says, I pray that you would have the power of the Holy Spirit to endure, to be patient, to live the way we're called to live. We need not quench the Spirit. We need to hear from God to endure and live the upside down life. We need to hear from Him to be counterculture, to be different, to impact our world, to change things. This is a time like Thessalonica where we can, oh no, it's too bad, or we are here now for a reason to have an impact, the kingdom of God within us, living to change our world. Praise God. I'm not here to quit. I'm here to live out the life of Jesus, to be an example to the world around me, to be an example to the body of Christ, to be like Paul, to be like the Thessalonians, to be like Jesus. Praise God. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help, Holy Spirit. Help us to live your kingdom. The King lives within us, Christ. May your principles, your qualities, just flow through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.